So if you have a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to turn with me to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Uh, if you are, have been here with us regularly, we've been uh, working our way through the book of Ecclesiastes. But today for Easter, we're going to take a quick one Sunday break, and we're going to, to think about this, this theme of resurrection this, and what it looks like to have, have hope even in the midst of grief. And you'll remember that this is the, the first letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in Thessalonica. Of course, we not too long ago finished up the, the book of 1 Timothy, uh, also by the Apostle Paul. So we've been talking about him a lot, but he was a, a person who grew up as a very legalistic, religious person who just met the resurrected Christ on the road to Damascus, came to faith in Christ and became one of the greatest creatures of the gospel, one of the greatest church planters who ever lived. And here he's encouraging us about our Easter hope. So again, uh, turn in your Bible to the book of 1 Thessalonians. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, the, the passage that we're going to be working our way through is on page 8 in your order of worship. Um, also, you can always get download an app, a Bible app. You can turn to it there as well. Um, but I encourage you either way to, to keep the text open as we work our way through it. So again, this is the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And I'll begin reading in verse 13. And today we're going to focus on verse 13 and 14, but I'm going to go ahead and read all the way to the end of the chapter. But we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we, who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. This is the word of the Lord. Father, I pray that you would guide my words as I declare these encouraging words to God's people. I, I pray that we would be built up in our hope, built up in our confidence in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, knowing that he is coming back. And so, Father, we need your Holy Spirit to guide us both in my speaking and in our hearing of your word. And so we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I look around a room, this room, any room where you find yourself, you know that there are people who are facing grief who are in the, the room. And it may be that, that it could be past grief. Somebody has, even a long time ago, experienced grief and sorrow. Could be the death of a loved one a long time ago, but you still feel that, that void and that sense of loss. 
But for others, it could be that everything is going great. And you say, I'm, I'm happy right now. I'm not feeling grief. I'm not feeling sorrow. Everything is great. But we know from Scripture that in this life of, of toil, in this life of suffering, that eventually we, we will face grief. We will face sorrow. But then I also imagine that there are people who find themselves in all three places where they have experienced grief and sorrow, they will experience grief and sorrow, and perhaps they are feeling that today as well. They're, they're in the midst of it right now, the grief and the sorrow of loss. But as we look at these verses from the Apostle Paul, we see that it's not wrong to experience grief, that it's not wrong to be sad. Look at verse 13 again, the first verse of our text. The Apostle Paul says, But we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, in other words, those who have died, that you may not grieve. And notice that he doesn't put a period there. That's not where the sentence is. He doesn't say, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to grieve at all. But he says that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. And so he's saying that that is not wrong to grieve, but yet implicit in this are two different types of grief. There is grief without hope, hopeless grief, and then there is grief with hope. There is hopeful grief. Now, I said a minute ago that there could be people here who are experiencing grief right now, but I hope that it's not a hopeless grace, this grace, this grief without hope. But sometimes that can happen depending on our view of death. Because I imagine there could be some who say this life is, is all there is. That we came from nothing, we're returning to nothing, that our lives are just a bit of meaning within poles of meaninglessness. And if that is where you are, then, then ultimately that is grief without hope. That because there's no hope of seeing the loved one again, of hearing the laugh again, of seeing the, the smile again. But there can also be grief without hope for those who believe in God. They may believe in the afterlife, but perhaps someone says that, that getting to heaven is based on good deeds, on being a good enough person. And if that's where you are, you might say, well, I could have grief with hope, but I'm not sure if I've done a good enough good work to work my way up to God. And so you wonder, will I actually see my loved ones again? Have I done enough? And that, certain, that uncertainty can leave somebody in a place of grief without hope. And so the question then that each one of us has to face today is this, how can we grieve with hope this Easter? How can we grieve with hope? As we look at this text, we see three answers to that question. So first, we can grieve with hope this Easter because Jesus died. Because Jesus died. Look at verse 13 again. But we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For, 
grounding this hope, we believe that Jesus died. And that confession that we believe Jesus died is one of the great confessions of the Christian religion. That we believe that the, the Son of God came into the world and took on himself a true human nature, truly God and truly man in one person, and that he lived a, a life of suffering, that he lived a life of service, that he lived a life of obedience, that ultimately he went to the cross, and on the cross he suffered a death, a, a painful and shameful death of crucifixion. And so it's not that his death was an illusion, that he really, truly died in space and in time. In real human history, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died. And you say, well, that doesn't sound very hopeful. A first century Jew named Jesus died on a Roman cross. How can that bring hope for me here in the 21st century? And really to, to see that hope, it's helpful to rewind all the way back to the beginning of the Bible itself, to the story of the Old Testament. Because in the very beginning, beginning of creation, God created Adam and Eve good. He created them in his image. And he placed them in the midst of the Garden of Eden. And he said, you can eat of all of the fruit, of all of the trees, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that is in the midst of the garden, you shall not eat. For on the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. Behind the, the death problem in the world is ultimately this root of sin, rebellion against God. You know the story how Adam and Eve disobeyed God, they ate of the fruit. And the moment that they sinned against God, they died spiritually, they began to die physically, and ultimately they did die physically. And the scripture says that before they sinned, they were naked and unashamed, but that after they sinned, it says that they realized that they were naked, they became ashamed before a holy and righteous God. And that's not talking just about physical nakedness or physical shame, but but underneath that is a sense of spiritual shame, the sense of shame before a holy and righteous God, knowing that we deserve his just judgment. But then God is, is so loving, he's so merciful to them, that even in the midst of their rebellion, even in, in the midst of their sin, that he takes an animal, as, he, as they leave the Garden of Eden, he kills the animal and clothes their nakedness with the skins of that animal. And that animal dies to cover their shame. And really, scholars point out how that is the first animal sacrifice within the Old Testament. Because the Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so the death of that animal for Adam and Eve to cover their nakedness and shame was a death of hope. Because the death of that animal showed that their, their nakedness could be covered, their shame could be covered. And of course, that pointed forward to these sacrifices throughout the Old Testament. You could think of the, the sacrifices of Passover, the Passover celebration. Remember how the people of Israel were languishing under slavery in Egypt, and God had sent Moses saying, let my people go. And in his stubborn, hard heart, 
Pharaoh was refusing to let the people go. And so God sent a series of plagues upon the land of Egypt, but the final plague that culminated was this warning that the angel of death would pass through the land of Egypt and that the firstborn in every household would die. And then you'll remember what God told his people. He said that for each household they should take a lamb, should kill the lamb, take the blood of the lamb, spread the blood of the lamb on the doorposts of their home. And as the angel of death passed over the lamb, or passed through the land, he would see the blood of the lamb and he would pass over the home. That's why it's called the Passover celebration. And so there again, you see that the, the death of the lamb was this hopeful death because it was showing that, that God's judgment could pass over the home, that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins, but forgiveness was on offer. And of course, all of those sacrifices, the sacrifices that began at the temple and at the tabernacle in the Old Testament, all pointed forward to the death of Christ, that they didn't take away sin, they didn't deal with the sin problem. But we, re we read in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6, that we all like sheep have gone astray. We've all turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. And that's also what the Apostle Paul says in one of the, the greatest passages on resurrection life ever written. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3, he says, For I delivered to you as of first importance, first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And then Apostle Peter, in 1 Peter 2, verse 24, says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. So you can see then that it's this, this hopeful death of Christ. By his wounds, you are healed. And so when we face grief, when we, when we face suffering in this life, when we when we wonder if we've been good enough. Remember I said that's one way we can grieve without hope is wondering if we've done enough to work our way up to heaven. Well, what this is saying is that none of us could do enough to work our way up to heaven. None of us have done enough good to work our way up to heaven. And that is why Jesus came and suffered and died. He died so that we could have hope. He died taking the full weight of the sin of his people, the full weight of God's wrath against the sins of his people, and he did it to cover our nakedness, to cover our shame, so that the angel of death would pass over his people on the final day of judgment, that there is hope here because of the death of Christ. Again, remember our question, how can we grieve with hope this Easter? The first answer is that we can grieve with hope because Jesus died. But then second, Second answer to that question, we can grieve with hope this Easter because Jesus rose again, because Jesus rose again. Look at verse 13 again in your Bible. He says, but we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and 
rose again. So this is the second great confession of the church, that, that Jesus died and that he also rose again from the dead. True bodily resurrection in space and in time, that, that he rose from the dead, the tomb was empty. It wasn't that he just rose in the moral imagination of, the, of his disciples, but he truly rose from the dead. And that the resurrected Jesus Christ was seen by witnesses. And in 1 Corinthians 15, continuing, Paul says, For I delivered to you a first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Jesus died and he came back to life again. But maybe here again you say, well, fine, a man named Jesus died and came back to life again 2,000 years ago. But how does that give me hope? How does that give me any kind of confidence to face the grief of death? And really, this is where we, we remember that Jesus has passed through death to life. And I, I was having a conversation with someone a while back, and they said, well, really, no one knows what happens when you die. And I said, well, what if someone actually passed through death into life and he could Tell us what happens. What if we could actually hear from somebody who experienced death and came back to life? What is it? What's the hope that we have? And of course, that's exactly what Jesus did, that in passing through death to life, he can not only tell us about death, but he actually defeats death by dying, that death couldn't hold him, that the grave couldn't contain him, that he rose again to new life, and that Jesus shattered and killed death itself by dying on the cross, that that is the hope and the promise that we have in Scripture. And that means that because Jesus, in his resurrection, has shattered the power of death, that we can actually mock death even in the midst of grief, that we can have that boldness towards death. And that's what Paul says at the very end of 1 Corinthians 15. So after talking about the death and the resurrection of Jesus— he says that when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass a saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the hope that we can have in Christ, that it's not that death is good, it's not that it's just a natural part of life. We see that death is an enemy, and we grieve the reality of death in the world. But then also we can mock death in the midst of sorrow because Jesus has, has disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them, as Paul says elsewhere. And so this is the hope that you can have, to, know, to mock death, to grieve with hope. So again, remember our question, how can we grieve with hope this Easter, that we can grieve with hope because Jesus died 
and rose again. But then third and finally, we can grieve with hope this Easter because Jesus is coming back. Because he's coming back. Look again at verse 13 in your Bible. He says, but we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, and implied their sisters as well, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as those who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So then, this is the third great confession of the Christian religion, that that yes, Jesus died, yes, he rose again from the dead, and that Jesus is coming back, and that on the day he comes back in power to judge the living and the dead, that we are coming with him. And that's what Paul describes so vividly later in this text. You heard me read these verses, verse 16. He says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, that we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. And therefore, encourage one another with these words. When I read that, I find this profound encouragement that that is hard for me to read those words without getting chills. Just picturing this, because scripture is, is so clear that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That the moment we die, our souls go to Christ and we're with him in, in joy and happiness. But that's not our final state. Our, our final state, according to the Bible, isn't some sort of disembodied existence out on a cloud somewhere. But what it says is that when Jesus returns in glory and power to judge the living and the dead, that all the, the believers who have fallen asleep in Christ are coming back with him. And in that decisive moment as Christ comes in power, the, the saints coming with him, that there is this resurrection of the dead And I was calling in a way the the second Easter, that the the first Easter is when Jesus rose from the dead. But the Bible says that that was the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. And that the second Easter day will be the day of resurrection, where all of those who are tethered to Christ by faith are going to be raised up with him, that, that the souls coming back with Christ will receive glorious resurrection bodies like Christ's resurrection bodies Uh, with its real physical existence, but different from our physical existence, and with real physical resurrected eyes to see the glory of Christ descending. But then Paul's clear that those who are alive at the second coming won't be left out. It says that they also, in that moment, will receive their glorious resurrection bodies, that they will be caught up into the air to meet the Lord. And you can just imagine that, that seeing the Lord descending, and then all of the saints throughout all of history, Old Testament saints, New Testament saints, everyone who is resting in Christ, coming with Christ, every knee confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord, that there you see Abraham, there you see David, there you see Elijah, there you see all of the the saints of the Old Testament, there you see Peter and, and Paul, There you see your loved ones who have fallen asleep in the Lord, and there, most of all, you see the Lord Jesus Christ himself in glory and power coming down to judge the living and the dead. This is the glorious hope of believers. 
And in that second Easter, it, it's something that we can take hold of, that that Easter hope, that ultimate Easter hope can be ours. Because the Bible says that when we admit that we can't save ourselves, that when we trust in Christ for salvation, that that faith unites us to Christ. And when we are in Christ, that means that we live in Christ, we grieve in Christ, we suffer in Christ, we die in Christ, we will be raised in Christ, and then we will see our Lord Jesus Christ coming on the clouds of glory. And it will be the most spectacular day that we can ever imagine. And so we can hold on to the promise then that is here, that we don't have to grieve as those who have no hope. Yes, we can grieve. Yes, we should grieve. But we have hope because Jesus died, Jesus rose again, and Jesus is coming back. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the, the resurrection power of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you that Easter 2,000 years ago was just the beginning. And Lord, we long with eager expectation for the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And whether we are alive on that day or whether we die before that day, we look forward to seeing Christ with our resurrection eyes, beholding his glory, worshiping together, being transformed from one degree of glory to another, seeing the, the victory of Christ over sin, the victory of Christ over death. And Lord, we, we thank you that that life, that resurrection life has already been decisively accomplished by Christ. We thank you that Jesus has conquered death but Lord, we look forward to the day when, when death will be eradicated completely, when there'll be no more tears, no more death, no more suffering. But Lord, as we still languish, as we still suffer in this present world, suffering in Christ, let us grieve as those who have hope. And not just an empty, shallow hope that we think everything will turn out well, because we don't know how our lives will turn out here under the sun. But Father, we know that ultimately in Christ, in his eternal purpose, that we have an unfading, imperishable hope that will never waste away. So please root us in that today. And we pray in Jesus' name.